0: Appreciate them singing that. That was a treat. That's probably my favorite gospel song. That's a good one, isn't it? Amen. Good to see all of you here. I want to just say something about uh, my family a moment. Um, I appreciate Laura, Clay, and Kaylee. Um, You know, uh, 14 years ago, um, Clay was just turning, I think you turned what, 14 or 15, 14, 15, the very day we came here, and uh give you a little uh, detail, I came, we came here just to preach, not to candidate, just to preach, um, that was in November of 2008, and uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, we uh, <laughs> had some time to kill in the afternoon to be back for the evening service, and we all went to Walmart. Of course, I went to the section that I normally always find myself when I go to Walmart, <laughs> that would be in the sporting goods section. And uh, I was looking around, and Clay was just kind of, you know, pillared around behind me, just kind of in a daze, just kind of really, you know, not really paying anything to anything. And he just looked at me. You know, y'all have to understand, I know many of you understand this, but we come from a very small town in Hinton, West Virginia. They have one stoplight. And a uh, very small town. And uh, so, you know, we lived in Knoxville for a while, but we had been in West Virginia for some time. And, and so Clay, was, I said, what's going on? And, and he just said, you know, Dad, uh, there's a lot of houses here, a lot of people. And, uh, and he said, I feel like if God would call us here, You know, God could use us here. And that's as a 14-year-old boy. And uh, the thing there that I've never forgotten is he just didn't say you, Dad. He said us. And to be honest, all through the whole 14 years here, it's been us. And, uh, you know, uh, talking about two children, uh, they could have made it very difficult for us to do what we're doing. They never did. They had their struggles like all young people do, but they uh, have always been for it. And I I never say much about it, but I appreciate them. Um, I also appreciate both of them very much when, uh, you know, had a few weeks, and they both stepped up and helped. I just want y'all to appreciate that. I also appreciate Laura. She has been right there. And I don't know of a person that um, has put more blood, sweat, and tears and her heart's been right here as well. She loves you. And, and I can honestly tell you that, um, you know, um, this is, when we chose to do this, we felt like this is what God called us to do. You know, she was very concerned, like all women would be, to pack up and leave and move. But she was willing to do it. And since she's been here, she's put her whole heart into this ministry, into all of you. And she loves you as much. She loves you very, very much, too. So I just wanted to say that. Appreciate them. And I want to say again, I appreciate the church. You've been very kind to us, you've been very gracious to us, and I feel very inadequate to be here and to be called your pastor. But I am very honored and humbled by the fact that we are here and that you love us and we love you and what God has done. And I appreciate all of you very, very much. Would you open your precious Bible this morning to the book of Genesis, chapter 30? Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30 and I want to continue um, talking about uh, special words, uh, important words in the Bible and uh, I I picked this one today just because of understanding I think it's appropriate but also with the emphasis of home improvement, life, relationships, um, marriage, uh, trying to raise children. Uh, we live in a world that are, is so confused about a lot of things, and again, I know that we live in a day where people look at this book like it's an archaic book, that it's out of date, it's, by the way, it's never out of date, it's timeless. It's timeless. You know, someone said years ago, give me that old-time religion, and yes, I love that, I love that old song, give me that old-time religion, but the Bible is just not an old-time religion, It's timeless. It spans every decade, every year, all of history, past and present and future. The Bible says of itself that God's word is settled in heaven. And we know that we have God's word. He's preserved his word. He inspired his word. He breathed it. Then I'm thankful that he preserved his word, that we still have a copy of it. And I'm thankful for that. And so I'm going to be reading out of the word of God this morning. And we're going to go to the Old Testament here in Genesis chapter 30. And I want to pick out one word. But I'll give you the context of this passage. But when you look in verse 25 of Genesis chapter 30, the Bible says, And it came to pass, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go into mine own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served thee, and let me go. For thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me, notice this, for thy sake. And he said, appoint me thy wages and I will give it. And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how thy cattle was with me. For it was little which thou hast before I came, and is now increased into a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming, and now when shall I provide for mine own house also? And he said, What shall I give thee? And Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything. If thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock. I will pass through all the flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle, and all the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. So shall my righteous answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before thy face, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, and shall be counted stolen with me. And Laban said, Behold, I would, it might be according to thy word. And he removed that day the he goats that were ring-straked and spotted, and all the she goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown among the sheep, and gave them into the hand of his sons. And he set three days' journey betwixt himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock, and Jacob took him rods and green poplar of the hazel and chestnut tree, and piled white strakes in them and made the white appear which was in the rods and he set the rods which he had piled before the flocks and the gutters and the uh, watering troughs when the flocks came to drink that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle, ring straked speckled and spotted. And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the ring strake and all the brown in the flock of Laban and he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not into Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And the man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maidservants and men servants, and camels and asses. Heavenly Father, again, I pray you'll just use this today, this word, and we'll thank you for what you do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of a context of what's taking place here. If you know your Bible history, we know that Laban was a trickster. Laban, uh, Jacob, the only reason he's there is he wanted his daughter to marry. Of course, we know through the years uh, he he was a trickster, and finally he did get the, the lady he wanted here in Rachel, but if you'll read past that, you'll understand Jacob had an eye for business. Jay, or Laban had an eye for business. Laban did not mind using people to get what he wanted. And we, I want to preach on this word today that we find in verse 27 that I believe would be called this, the word... That is the greatest teacher. The word is that is the greatest teacher. And uh, life has many great teachers. Can I say this morning that pain is a great teacher. Pain. The pain of life. The pain of struggle. We learn things when we deal with pain in life. And by the way the Bible says that men are a few days and full of trouble. So everybody that lives is going to go through pain. And Pain is a great teacher. Why? Because we learn what causes this pain. There is some pain that comes to life because we've experienced the why. So it's a great teacher. So it would be foolish for us to go through pain that we don't have to go through if we realize what causes the pain. Experience teaches us that. Can I say that I want to also say that there are other great teachers' pain. Can I say sorrow is a great teacher? Sorrow is a great teacher. I believe we will learn things in times of sorrow that we'll never learn on the mountaintop. We'll learn things during the times of sorrow that we'll never learn in times of laughter. So sorrow is a great teacher. But I also want to say this morning another great teacher in life is love. Love is a great teacher. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love uh, lasts. Love is greater than all the other words. We understand that love is a great teacher. Love teaches us many things. The Bible says that the love of Christ constraineth us. Love is a constrainer. Love is a motivator. Love will keep us going when we don't want to go anymore. Love is the greatest motivator. By the way, the greatest motivator to be the Christian that you ought to be is love for the one who saved you. Love is a great teacher. Christianity is not about a bunch of rules and regulations and a bunch of do's and don'ts. If you love the Lord, you want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to what is the word that sums up the instruction of all other words? What is the word that teaches you more than the university or colleges of this land? What is the word that shows us the value of time? What is the word that shows the unhappiness of the life that is lived for just yourself? What is the word that shows the worth of prayer? What is the word that proves the power of faith? What is the word that assures that all things work together for good to them that love God and that's called according to His purpose? What is the word that lets us know that this world can never satisfy the souls of men? What is the word that lets us know how great are the merits of God and how wonderful His redeeming love to us really is? Here's the word. We find it in verse 27. Experience. It's the greatest teaching. Let me say to you, uh, I can honestly tell you, I, I'm thankful that I was able to go to Bible college. I learned a lot of things in Bible college, but I'm going to promise you this, there are no books, there's uh, no type of education that, is, that can really outdo just simply just understanding it by experiencing it. That's why some of the wisest people on this earth, they've never had a 12th grade education. Uh, it was uh, Brother Kerr that told me the other day that there was a teacher. He felt like a failure until they started going back into some of the old people. and They started going back and how to live from the land and all of the antidotes of, of life, of just simplicity. And he said that he wrote a, a, a series of books over that. And I want to tell you, what, what made that teacher a great teacher? What made all those students great learners? Or people of education. Because they learned from people that taught them something more than a book couldn't teach them. They taught them what experiences teaches you. And that's why I want to say to all of you younger people here today. You are foolish. You are foolish here today. That if you would absolutely minimize some of our dear precious people here that might have a little grayer hair, a little whiter hair than you have, and maybe their uh, shoulders are a little more drooped than yours. But I want to tell you something. There is a wealth of knowledge in this building today based on just some of our older people. Why? You say, well, pastor, they didn't go to Bible college. I don't care. You said, pastor, they didn't go to college. I don't care. They are some wise people, and they can teach us some things because they've learned from experience. And sometimes it puts me out when I hear a young person listen to someone that tries to love on them and tell them something that they've learned and here's what happens to many of us when we're young we listen to the older people and here's what we think well that might have happened to you but it ain't going to happen to me now I want you to know something experience usually teaches us great things so experience here's what Laban said I have learned by experience now Laban was a trickster he was a trickster He only wants Jacob there because he realizes since Jacob has been over all of his flocks, even Jacob said, when I came here, Laban, you didn't have much. Your flocks were very small. You didn't have all the irrigation. I've worked hard. I have benefited you. So he said, yes, I think you ought to benefit me. He said, I want some wages. I want something. Now, could you imagine going to your employer today and saying, hey, I want to raise and I want all the speckled goats. Hey, I want to raise. I want better benefits. I want all the speckled cattle. And by the way, we learn later that Laban even tries to trick him on this. He starts minimizing the speckled goats and the speckled cattle. Why? Because I'm going to tell you right now Laban had learned by experience that it's good keeping Jacob around. He didn't have to have, he didn't have to be a Bible scholar, he didn't have to go off to college. He learned what, he understood what he had and what he didn't have before Jacob and then experience taught him that he got much, much more because of Jacob's presence. He even said to him that. He said, look, I've learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me. Here's what he said. He said to Jacob, I've learned by experience. I've been blessed because of you. That's what he said. So Jacob looks back at him and said, all right, buddy. If you've been blessed here because of me, then start paying up. Right? Now, that's Bible. That's Bible. But that is a principle that even common sense people know. If there's a blessing there because of somebody, if you've learned from experience and listen to me, you ought to bless the people blessing you. That's a biblical principle. And so where do we learn that from? From the Bible. He said, I learned that from experience. And so you might think, well, I'll tell you right now, Jacob, man, he was asking for an awful much. Well, Jacob didn't think so because Jacob realized that all of Laban's wealth had come by his work, by him being there, and so he felt like, hey, fair is fair. That's a biblical principle, but it's just a common sense principle. How do we get that? Why does that make sense to us? Why do we understand that? Why do we know that Laban understood this principle? I'm going to tell you why. Experience. It taught him something. So think about that. Laban was crafty. Laban was a trickster. He only wanted him around for his benefit. How did he understand that experience? But I'm going to tell you something else about Laban. He was very wise. And here's what I want to preach on this morning. He was wise because he did what many of us fail to do. Learn by experience. Learn by experience. Why he was wise. Now I know this is a negative connotation. Really, but it really wasn't. For him to be able to set back and watch things and see how things develop. He watched, he seen, and by experience he said, you know what? Having Jacob around here is a pretty good thing. So by experience, here's what he did not fail to do. He did not fail to learn by experience. You know what what saddens me today? There's going to be people right here in this building that is not going to take this message and you're not going to learn from experience. See, experience is the greatest teacher. Because it draws upon all the stores of knowledge that you find in everything in life. For instance, experience draws from all the stores of joy. So if you've had joy in your life, experience will tell you well, what's caused the joy. It draws from all of the, every, everything of life. If you understand experience, you can draw from the sorrow of your life. Experience is what teaches you that puts it all together. It draws from everything in your life. Joy, sorrow, think of this, success. Why is so many people so successful and others might not be? Because they've learned from experience. They're willing to say, okay, that didn't work well. That didn't work. And they're not so proud and so haughty of themselves that they can't say, hey, I made a mistake there. I can improve on that. Brother Edgy and I were talking of all things this morning about horses. I I don't ride horses. But I I learned this. He said, look, if a horse bucks you off, you better get back up on him because if you don't, that horse is going to know that you're scared of him. He got you. He owns you. So what did he say? Well, you get back up. You get back up on the horse. Some people can't deal with that very well. Thus, that's why they're not successful. Because you know everyone that has been successful has tried and failed. But here's the difference between a person that's successful, they've learned by experience, just because you fail doesn't mean it's final. So experience draws from success. Experience draws from failures. Experience draws from disappointment. What disappointed you? Why did it disappoint you? We're putting all of that together. And experience teaches us this thing. Pain, pleasure, good, evil. Experience draws from all of these. See, experience is life. And life, of course, is the greatest teacher. So let's look at a few. I want to say before I get into the three biblical illustrations. How many of you like going into old cemeteries? Anybody like going into old cemeteries? Would you raise your hand? Isn't that interesting to look at those old cemeteries? And you know what? When I go into those old cemeteries, I get nostalgic. And um, I'll walk through there. There's a particular one in Lewisburg, West Virginia. It's one of the oldest cemeteries there in West Virginia. And I mean, there is... There's people buried there. Civil War soldiers were buried there. But, I mean, it was just an old cemetery. And, you know, back then they, they, they did so much with the, the tombstones. They were elaborate because, you know, they very clearly marked the place of these precious people, and they made a big deal about it. But when you go and read through these old, old tombstones, I can't help but when I look at the names and see the epitaphs and sometimes different things there on them, uh, but the one thing that I always try to pay attention to is the date. It been, it, some of those tombs in Lewisburg, it's like 1892-1930. And I'm sitting there looking at that name, I look at that tombstone, and I see that date, and, and I'm not good at math, But I have to get my hands and fingers And start doing it And I'll finally figure it out And if not I'll just ask somebody else How old was that person when they died? But you know what we don't pay a whole lot of attention to Is that dash All we see are numbers there But you know what That person lived a life And when I go through there and look at that I say you know what They hurt, they cried, they laughed They had good days, they had bad days, obviously whatever took their life could have been a surprise, it could have been a shock, or they even could have known they were facing death. But nonetheless, every time I go and look at these old tombstones and I think, you know what, those people's lives mattered to somebody. And not only that, what all they experienced in that dash, depending on how they responded to that, made them the kind of person they were. Experience. Can I say to every young person here today, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. If you think that you're going to be the only one that's exempt. That if you have some dear people that love you, and they have a little bit grayer hair on their head, and they might have less hair than you, and you might think they're an old fuddy-duddy, and you might think, oh, what they say to me is not relevant. I'm going to tell you something right now. You are a fool not to listen to other people's experiences. You're a fool. Experience is the greatest teacher. You're not going to be exempt. When we talk about this word that's the greatest teacher, how is this relevant to home improvement, relationships, raising children? This word is a big deal. I hope and pray that people of Tiftonia Baptist Church are people that allow the greatest teacher to teach them. Can I give you some biblical examples? Let me give you some biblical illustrations here, and we'll go to the house. Number one, I want to just say, think about the experience of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 50, was it not Joseph that said to his brothers, you meant it unto evil, but God meant it unto good? Now we learn something there by the life of Joseph, if we will be wise. We learn a lot about God through the life of Joseph, but we also learn a lot about Joseph. But we also learn a lot about how God does things. Now I don't understand it all, but here's a man that was... The Bible never, now I'm not saying that he wasn't. He sinned, obviously, because we know that all men are sinners. But do you know that Joseph is one man in the Bible that there's never one recorded act in there that he sinned? Now we know he did, but it's not recorded in God's Word. He's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Genesis chapter 50, we realize he came to a place in his life after, listen, listen, There's not one person, maybe other than David, that lived a more sorrowful life. Now, the difference between David and Joseph was David, God told him because of your actions you're going to live a certain way. But Joseph was doing right. Joseph loved his father. Joseph loved his brothers. Joseph only was given dreams, and because his father loved him more, his brothers hated him. That wasn't Joseph's fault. So one day we know Joseph goes to check on his brothers, and before he gets there, they start talking about him. They can't stand him, and they are talking about killing him, their own flesh. But instead of killing him, they throw him in a pit, trying to figure out what they're going to do with him. Finally, here comes some uh, merchant men. They sell them all. They sell their own flesh and blood to these men. They take him down to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. He's bought by a man by the name of Potiphar, which is a very powerful man. He serves that man and his family. The Bible says he becomes uh, uh, very much the leader of that whole household. And then his wife wants to be with him. Joseph runs and leaves and flees that temptation. And he did right, but yet he found himself in jail. Then in jail, he interprets dreams and he tells the ones, once you get out, remember me, they for- the, the, the butler forgot him and he sat in there and rotted in that prison for years. And finally, Pharaoh had dreams All of a sudden, the butler understands, man, there's a guy down there in prison that can interpret your dream. So they pull him up out of jail. He interprets the Pharaoh's dreams. Next thing you know, he is the most powerful man in the whole then known world because Pharaoh puts him underneath him in charge of everything. Lo and behold, the famine hits. And all of a sudden, whoa, oh, 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 here comes the very brothers that's caused all this pain in his life. Here they show up. And the Bible said when Joseph seen them, he began to weep. And the Bible said he wept so loud that even the people, the family in Pharaoh's own chambers heard him weeping and wailing. Here's what we learn. Get it down. There are treasures in darkness. You will find treasures in darkness that you'll find in no other place. We learn that from experience. This is the life that the Lord allowed Joseph to live. Whether we think it's fair, whether we think it's right, whether we can't understand, it doesn't matter. God is omnipotent. We know that this was the life that God allowed Joseph to live. I don't understand it all. He was sold into slavery by his brother, put in prison. Forgotten in prison. And now his brothers show up. And by the way, remember those dreams? They came true. All of his brethren gave obeisance on him. They bowed down to him. But you know what? He was not a haughty man. He didn't think, oh, I'm glad. You know what? He still loved his brothers. See, here's here's what Joseph meant. And And I've only understood this because of experience. I don't understand it, but the experience has told me this: not all bad things that happens to us has to make us bitter. Now look, that's tough sledding. <laughs> that's tough sledding. That's a whole lot easier for me to say that than to live it. But if Joseph can look at his brethren after all they did to him and say, You meant it unto evil, but God meant it unto good. Let me tell you something. We can learn by experience from Joseph's life. I've realized by experience. God uses situations and circumstances, unfairness, pain, sorrow, and trouble to make us better, not bitter. Now, I've also learned from experience, depending on how you and I respond to those things, I'm not saying to you that you're not going to get better. I'm telling you that's your fault. Because experience tells us that we know, based on a man's life, even though it was unfair, even though it was cruel, even though he didn't understand it, he still came to the end of his life and said, look, you meant it unto evil, but I know God meant it unto good. And by the way, not only did God mean it unto good to Joseph, because it didn't feel good to Joseph. But I'm going to tell you something else here that experience tells me. Just because you go through something doesn't always mean you're the only benefit of that. Do you realize you can go through something so you can help somebody else? All we want to do is sit around and whine. Oh, it's so bad. And here's what's what's amazing to me. There are people, believe it or not, that are going through worse than you are. Joseph understood this. He said, I can sit around and be bitter. And by the way, it's easier to do that. (laughs) We all fail. But by experience, we learn that God does not allow this to make us bitter. He allows it so we can learn from experience to be better. Who do you think can benefit from your sorrow? We talked about it yesterday. The Coles, Rita, Roger, Papa Bill, passing away. We were sitting around, went up to their house just for a few minutes. We were sitting around talking. We were talking about a particular dear, precious couple here in our church. They've experienced pain and the loss of family and children like I don't know if anyone else has ever lost. And I'm going to be honest with you, when I start getting down in that molly grub patch and I start getting down there like, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me, I want you to know something. All I've got to do, and it will help me. I'm not saying I I live there, but we need to live there. That's what experience should teach us. I look at their life and what loss they've had. I'm going to tell you right now, mine ain't been near what they've had to deal with. So experience of Joseph teaches us that God, there's a providence in God. God is a provident God. He knows what he's doing. Number two, experience of Solomon. The Book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. You know what? The book of Ecclesiastes is a sermon from the beginning to the end. You you say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, he even tells us that in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon, the great wise king, called himself a preacher. The words of the preacher of the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Here's his first, here's his first part of, here's his introduction to the sermon. Here you go. Y'all ready? Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What's that mean? Everything's empty without God. You know what the word vanity means here? It means it's empty. He said, look, it's all empty. By the way, Solomon was the wisest man. He was the wealthiest man. Look, he had hundreds of wives. He had many concubines. He had everything that heart could wish. He had wealth. And the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, he looked at all of it. He, he studied it out. He, he enjoyed every pleasure of life. You know what he came to the conclusion of? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Here's his conclusion. After he lived a life of everything that heart could desire, everything the world could give him, here's what he said at the end of his life. Are y'all ready? And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yeah, he... Get, gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Here's what he said. Let us hear the whole conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. When he looked at his life, here's what we learned from the life of Solomon. Y'all ready? There is no lasting satisfaction or joy in the things of this world. They run out. Here after a while, I don't know when, but let me say, tell you, everything you see here will be gone. Do you know the only only things that will last forever? Y'all know what they are? People. People. Do you know you're going to live forever? You are. You're an eternal being. You're going to live forever. There's a destination that you're heading to and I'm heading to. And so let me just say this. Solomon was a great author. He had many wives. He had many. He, he, he had everything that heart could wish. He was a man of wide experiences. Look, he, in life he tried everything. He had pleasure. He tried everything. He erected great buildings. He tried agriculture. He built vineyards. But he found no satisfaction in any of them at the end of his life. They were all empty. They were all vexation of spirit. Finally, he came to the conclusion of the whole matter and said, Look, I've lived my whole life. And I've learned this. The only thing that truly gives me any joy and eternal satisfaction is the Lord Jesus Christ, the things of God. That's a great lesson to learn, to learn, didn't it? How long do we have to be, how old do we have to get to realize that this world's not our home, we're just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. See, the devil loves to get your hooks in you, get his clamps in you so you can get your roots so deep down in this world, you care nothing about the future and eternity. Can I say as I close this morning, the experience with Solomon opens up and it teaches us, proves that there's no lasting satisfaction in joining the things of the world. But can I say quickly as I close, the prodigal's experience. Is that not found in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son? The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. The Lord Jesus Christ taught this parable. And this is a beautiful picture. It's really not about the son. It's really about the father. Don't miss that. Because that's a beautiful picture of our heavenly father. But the, the application of the experience, here's what it happens when we talk about the prodigal son. It demonstrates the truth that the way of the transgressor is hard. Can I make this statement to you? Life outside of the will of God is hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's tough. Out of the will of God, he ended up in a hog pen. He ended up, he had all that money. He said, Dad, I want all my money. I want all my inheritance. I'm going to go out. I'm going to live any way I want. I'm going to go live any way I want. I'm tired of you telling me what I can and can't do. So he went out into the world. The Bible said he just started spending all that money, started giving his life to all of this righteous living. And pretty soon, all of his friends went away when the money ran out. And he found himself. He was so poor. He was working for a man, feeding the hogs. He didn't have anything to eat. And he was eating the same slop the pigs were. The Bible said this, he finally came to himself. He said, my soul, here I am eating on pig slop and my father lives in a mansion. What in the world am I going here, eating here, about to die, eating here? i, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my dad. Could you imagine that old boy? Y'all know if he'd worked with them pigs. Y'all ever, has anybody here ever slopped the hogs? That's not a real good job, is it? I mean, y'all, you certainly don't want to get none of that on you. But if you're down there with the hogs trying to eat it with them, I'm going to promise you this right now. You're going to stink. You're going to be dirty. And I'm going to tell you right now, that old boy, he said he didn't carry. So i got to get back to my dad's house. And here's what's beautiful about that whole thing and the prodigal son. I happen to believe that that old father went out there every day just kept thinking, I'm hoping, I'm hoping my boy's going to come back today. He's going to come to himself. He's going to come back to me today. He's going to come back where he ought to be. He ought to come back home. Amen. He should have never left. By the way, if you know the Lord, you should never leave him. But I'm going to tell you this. If you leave him, I'm going to tell you right now, he's waiting on the porch for you to come back. Because when that old boy come to himself, he had that hog slop all over him. He stumped. He probably didn't have a bath in days. He didn't care. He said, all I got to do is get back to my dad. And the Bible said, when the father seen him a long ways off. You would think that it would be on the burden of that old boy to come running to the dad. But here's what the Bible says. The dad went running to him. You know why the dad went running to him? Because that's a picture of our heavenly father. And boy, a long ways off, he, seen, he said, that's my boy. And he took off running. The Bible said he just grabbed him and hugged him and brought him right in. And he said, let's, kill, let's have a party. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's put robe on him. Let's get him back. Because once my son was lost, but now he's found. Can I just say this? Life without the Lord's empty. The life without the Lord, you're going to end up in a pig slop. You say, oh, pastor, I'm doing all right now. Well, just hold up. You're going to get there. Well, I say I thank God for another observation of the experience of the prodigal son. I not only know that out of the will of God is not good, but I'm going to tell you another observation that I want to close on today. I've learned this by experience. When we fail him, he still loves us. And I don't think he's just waiting on the porch. The Bible tells us there in the prodigal son that the father went running to him. Do you understand today, if you're not where you should be, he's running to you? You know what else he does? He restored the son. He put a robe on him. Had a party for him. And that's a beautiful picture because that's like our Heavenly Father, isn't he? Look, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you've done, and I don't care. People have this misnomer about church. Oh, I can't go to church because they're all, you know, they're all, no, we're all sinners. They ain't one of us in here from this preacher today, everyone here, none of us are clean. But that's what makes our God even greater. Even though we ain't clean, he still loves us. And by the way, I want you to know, he paid for our sin on the cross. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care what skeletons you have in your claws. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care what you're doing right now. I don't care if you came into this building today and you're like, oh, my goodness, the place is going to burn down because I'm here. No, 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 no. Look at me. The Lord loves you. And whatever you've done and whatever you're ashamed of, can I help you by experience? Quit letting the devil ruin your life. Amen. You know what you need today? You need to get saved if you're not saved. You say, Pastor Mark, what do you mean get saved? Well, that's a beautiful word. Saved from what? Saved from our sin. Saved from our skeletons in the closet. Saved from the bad things we've done. Because the reason we did them is we're sinners. We were born in sin. We've chosen to sin. But oh, I'm so thankful. But God, while we were yet sinners, God committed his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the ways of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can be saved today. I'm going to tell you what. By experience, here's what you're going to say. They ain't nobody like him. I'm sorry if any of you English majors, I'm going to say it one more time. If you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved, I'm going to tell you right here. here's what experience is going to tell you. They ain't nobody like him. And I'm going to go another step farther and show my real roots of being a hillbilly. They ain't nothing like being saved. Being able to lay your head on the pillow at night, knowing that your sins, yes, the wage of that sin is death, but praise God someone loved you even though you don't deserve to be saved. He loved you anyway. He paid for your sin, and He wants you to trust Him as your personal Savior. And I'm going to tell you right now, He will save you from the guttermost to the uttermost. He'll put you, He'll bring you up out of the pit, and He might even just put you up here on the pulpit. Pull a little Gerald John on us there. He got me out of the mire and what? He put me in the choir. (laughs) What's another one? Y'all help me. What's another one old Gerald John says all the time? Anybody remember it? Those are the two I remember. He took me out of the mire and put me in the choir. That's what experience tells me. Boy, when the Lord Jesus saves you, he saves you real good. So what about experience? Let's stand on our feet. With head bowed and eyes closed. Can I ask, would we just be honest here this morning? Would we be honest here this morning? Would we bow our heads and close our eyes? Let's just be honest. How many of you, just honest, there's no one looking around. And I'll be honest, I will not even look right now. I want to ask, how many of you know... That you have learned a wealth of things from experience. Would you just interact with me a little bit? Would you raise your hand? You've learned something. Can, can I ask you this? How many of us will allow the Lord to help us to use experience to learn more about him? Then can I ask this? That last thought. Look, I know people get nervous right here, but I hope you won't. Do you know for sure that you're saved? Look, you're in a good place. Can I ask you a question? You be honest with me. Let's start here. You say, Pastor, I know. With, I mean, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I don't deserve to be saved. But there was a time in my life that I put my faith and trust in Christ. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't deserve it, but I know that I'm saved because Jesus has saved me, and I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. By way of testimony, would you slip your hand up? You know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. I'm very, very thankful. Can I ask this question? You say, Pastor Mark, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm here this morning, and I don't know for sure if I die I'm going to heaven, but I'm concerned about it. And would you say, just by lifting up your hand, only I'm looking You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I promise you I won't embarrass you. I promise. And it's nothing to be embarrassed about, but I promise I won't call you out. If you just say, Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? I'm concerned about it. Would you slip your hand up like Is there anyone like that this morning? Anybody this morning? Anybody? Bless you. I see that hand, and I want um, our workers to to talk to her, little girl, and we'll, we'll talk. How many of you believe that there's been some times missed that experience had taught us something but we didn't learn from that experience? Let's ask God to help us, amen? Look, she's going to play something on the piano. I don't know your heart. I don't know what you're dealing with. I've learned that there's hope in the darkest of situations. I've learned there's always hope. Can I say something else that I've learned? I've learned that it's better for a family to be a part of a church. How many of y'all would agree with that by experience? Can I ask y'all this question? How many of you are thankful you've learned from experience? You don't know what you would do without your church family. Would that be true? Would you raise your hand? Isn't that a blessing? Yeah, I'm telling you. See, you learn We learned so much from experience. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to let Brother Don close in prayer this morning.
1: Amen. Pastor and Mrs. Laura, if you go in the back this morning, and uh, let the folks greet you and so forth this morning. And, yes, we'll be back tonight and uh, have a social next door, but we'll give the opportunity to this morning for you to uh, uh, shake hands, say something to them this morning. That'll be good. I know from experience a church is blessed when they honor their pastor. Amen. And uh, let's keep doing that and praying for him each and every day. And let's do that together. Thank the Lord for the message this morning. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the experiences of life. Lord, there are some are good, some are bad. But yet, Lord, you, as we saw today, you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Thank you so much for that. Now, Lord, again, we pray for our pastor, pray for his family, pray for that, Lord, you continue to bless them, keep them in good health, I pray. Pray, Lord, as they lead us here in this place, we uh, thank you for them. And again, we thank you for each person that's gathered here today. Bless them. Be close to them today, Lord. Help them. Help us all be back at in your house tonight. We'll praise you for it in your precious name. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>